Welcome to Mosaic, the EDC podcast. Mosaic is a place to explore pressing challenges in education, health, and economic opportunity with EDC staff around the world. On August 26th, members of the Department of Veterans Affairs and Department of Defense will come together for the 2019 Suicide Prevention Conference, an opportunity to address the challenge of suicide and to promote messages of hope and recovery among our nation's veterans. EDC's Jerry Reed, a suicide prevention expert and Navy veteran himself, will be in attendance. In this podcast, Reed discusses what the VA is doing to prevent suicide and how prevention efforts are helping to promote resilience and help seeking. So Jerry, thanks so much for coming in today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. You'll be attending the 2019 Department of Veterans Affairs, Department of Defense Suicide Prevention Conference, which is happening later this month. Uh, let's start with a general question. What are the current rates of suicide among veterans and how is the VA responding? The rate of suicide, based on what you're hearing from the VA and in the media, is that approximately 20 veterans a day die by suicide. So it's about 6,500 veterans per year um, take their lives. And um, the Veterans Administration is mindful of that. They've got a com- very strong infrastructure that they've built with suicide prevention coordinators in every VA medical center. They have a veterans crisis line. They are certainly um, training people in their organization to be mindful of paying attention to the signs of suicide, asking about suicide, and then treating veterans who report having symptoms of suicide or suicidal ideation. So they're mindful of that. Um, Congress is paying attention, and the infrastructure at VA is certainly committed to trying to really provide best services possible for veterans who struggle with suicidal thinking. And what is your role going to be at the conference? The conference is an annual gathering. They expect anywhere between 1,800 and 2,000 people, excuse me, biannual uh, gathering. We have about five individuals from our team here at EDC going to the conference to present on various items, such as safe messaging, how to really talk about suicide in a way that's safe and encourage help-seeking rather than simply reporting on the risk factors or the data or the, uh, or the incidents of death in the community, but more about what's available to help. So we're going to talk about safe messaging. We're going to talk about the public health approach to suicide. So the role that I've been asked to play at the very end of the conference is to be with um, Dr. Richard McKeon from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration and talk about the approach of public health to suicide prevention rather than just the mental health approach to suicide prevention. So we're going to kind of wrap up what is a theme in this conference, which is how do you take a public health approach when you are addressing the topic of suicide in America? So I guess let's dig into that a little bit. What does a public health approach to suicide look like in the context of preventing suicide among veterans? Well, it's really not just among veterans. The nation, when we wrote our national strategy way back in 2001, our first strategy, which was updated in 2012, we took a public health approach. The Surgeon General, uh, Dr. David Satcher at the time, and most recently, Dr. Regina Benjamin in 2012, really were convinced that a public health approach was the right approach to take with regards to suicide prevention. And since then, 
the Department of Veterans Affairs has released their national strategy for veteran suicide prevention. They adopted a public health approach. And similarly, the Department of Defense, when they released their national strategy, both are almost a carbon copy of the national strategy, but they're culturally competent to either veterans or active duty military. So there's some modification, but really quite quite little. Um, the public health approach was, was certainly what people are following. And what it really means, Bert, is that in the past, we've looked at suicide as an individual case presentation from an individual and his or her provider. And so we would do therapy, perhaps prescribe medication, perhaps, you know, enroll someone in a group situation. And we would treat that individual with an individual treatment plan to help them recover and move beyond the crisis that they're experiencing. A public health approach, on the other hand, really looks at populations. So when you look at 6,500 veterans, or you look at 47,000 Americans, or you look perhaps at 7,000 older adults, you, you look at the risk and protective factors that you can see in those populations, and you try to modify the risk factors that are modifiable and promote the protective factors that need to be enhanced in order to give that individual, and frankly, the individuals in that population, the safety net, so that we don't turn a blind eye to other things we could do in society that could contribute to saving lives. So the public health approach starts with data, It wants you to look at the 6,500 veterans and try to see what were the circumstances around those deaths that might have a common denominator or several common denominators. Then you look at what you can change. Then you apply an intervention that will contribute to that change. And ultimately, you evaluate whether that approach led to a reduction in the burden of suicide that you're experiencing in that population. And if so, you scale it up and you repeat it. And if not, you go back and look at it again and try to figure out what you might try that could make a difference in that population. So what's a good example of that? Um, What does it look like when you actually take a public health approach to suicide prevention? A good example of that is, for example, a public awareness campaign. That's a universal intervention that touches everybody who happens to be listening to the radio, standing at a bus stop, or or reading a newspaper, or maybe watching a television public service announcement. And that's just a general message that goes to everybody promoting mental health. If someone is already at risk and haven't made an attempt on their life, then you're moved into a different category where that individual treatment is absolutely appropriate because that individual is at risk based on their behavior. And the whole goal of a public health approach is to go upstream and prevent the occurrence from even happening, but be also mindful of needing to be downstream to to save those who are struggling. So it's really the entire population that you're focused on with a public health approach. But mental health is absolutely uh, congruent with a public health approach, and in fact is essential to a public health approach. So they're not mutually exclusive. You got to do both. Right. So on that on that topic of the individual level, I've been thinking a lot about the issue of lived experience. And recently I, I spoke to Teresa Humphreys Wadsworth, and she was very open about her story and her own lived experience with suicide. And I'm wondering how the VA is incorporating the voices and experiences of veterans who have lived experience with regards to suicide into their prevention initiatives. Fair question. And there's 
I would say in our field generally of suicide prevention, first and foremost, it was the voice of those with lived experience that really propelled suicide prevention into the national public policy sphere. It was people who lost a loved one to suicide initially that came forward and said, this doesn't have to happen. There were things we probably could have done if we knew more or things we that could have been done if hospital systems were more trained, etc. So that voice of what it was like to lose a loved one propelled us to get moving in suicide back in the early 2000s, like late 1996, 97 and beyond. And since then, the voice of those who've made an attempt on their life which is incredibly important when you figure out what was done that didn't work. What do you wish would have been done? What was harmful? Listening to people who've been there and experienced that, that thought of suicide or the, the, the thought of taking their own life really helped us understand how we should modify clinical practice. And the VA, with these suicide prevention coordinators in every VA medical center, with the commitment at the VA central office to really improve the delivery of suicide care, they are involved with um, those with lived experience. But I would say for all of us in the field, that's probably the area where we have the most growth to still accomplish. Um, Teresa's guide that was published by the SPRC, the Suicide Prevention Resource Center, just a few days ago, gives really helpful, candid comments on how one can engage the voice of lived experience in their suicide prevention efforts. And I'm sure that the Veterans Administration will have people with lived experience at their conference and the DOD, and that experience will continue to inform the way forward, I hope for suicide prevention in both of those organizations and the nation at large. I think we've done a much better job of including the voice of lived experience in suicide prevention nationally. And I think usually what we start doing nationally tends to migrate to other large departments like VA and DOD. And I'm seeing more and more veterans speak up who've been there and want to share that experience to inform the future of practice in both departments. Right. I think that's important because it sounds like lived experience helps to break down some of that stigma um, that exists around suicide and mental health. And I, I think I want to investigate that a little bit in terms of the VA. I know in the, the general public, it seems like people are more open to talking about suicide now than they were 10 years ago and certainly 20 years ago. How have discussions about suicide, suicide prevention and mental health changed among the veteran population? Well, I, I can tell you quite candidly back in 1996 and 97, when I worked on Capitol Hill and the issue of suicide prevention first came up as a leading cause of suicide, excuse me, first came up as a leading cause of death that people were willing to pay attention to, um, there was no concrete effort at the Veterans Administration broadly to make suicide prevention a focus of clinical practice, of organizational commitment, etc. Today, as I just mentioned, there are over 400 suicide prevention coordinators. They have a, an office of suicide prevention in VA central office. We're talking about suicide all the time and how to improve clinical practice. The implication uh, or the application of evidence-based practices so veterans at risk can get exposure to the practices that are known to have effect. 
there's research being done, extensive research being done by the Veterans Administration to make certain that um, we learn what we can from these veterans and then change the practice. So I, I really do think that we are now talking about suicide. The Veterans Administration is talking about suicide, the Department of Defense, not just talking, but getting funding from Congress to implement suicide prevention. They've both written national strategies and the Secretary of Veterans Affairs and many other leadership uh, individuals at VA have said it's the number one clinical priority for the Veterans Administration. And in fact, just recently in March, the president issued an executive order which really called attention to veteran suicide and called for advanced efforts on the part of VA to really tackle this big challenge for the men and women who serve our country or have served our country. And then finally, how can families, communities, and health systems better care for veterans who are at risk for suicide? Well, I think, you know, the question you asked a moment ago about, you know, how has the, the, the response changed with regard to suicide in the Veterans Administration specifically, but, but overall, I think, in the nation, we didn't used to talk about suicide. We thought if we talked about it, then we might put the idea in someone's head. That, that's just not true. That's a myth that's been dispelled time and time again. And in fact, just the opposite usually happens. When you ask someone about whether they have thoughts of suicide or if they're thinking of harming themselves or killing themselves, it's usually a tremendous relief that someone asked. I think it's really helpful in the case of veterans or active duty military to talk to a peer who's been there, who served their country, maybe in conflict, and learn that you know it's 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 okay to share that you're struggling with some thoughts of suicide and that individual who may have been there as well and now well along the path of recovery can let you know that it's right to seek help you don't have to carry that burden alone and i think we've really seen that if you don't talk about an issue like suicide which is the 10th leading cause of death in our country, then you're never gonna be able to do anything about suicide. So I think it's, it takes a lot of courage to have the conversation. It takes a lot of courage to ask the question, but there are people in this world struggling. There are probably 10 million Americans who report that they've had serious thoughts of suicide in the last 12 months. That's a lot of people. And if you know somebody that is, is not themselves not as actively engaged in the social group that you're a part of, withdrawn, not eating, seeming to be overly sad for no apparent reason, that's probably a good signal that they're struggling with some thought that doesn't have to be left untouched. And a, a family member, a, a colleague, a friend, by asking that question could give that individual the permission to open up, seek help, and in my opinion, those of us that have the privilege of having that trust where someone would share that kind of a load with us, we should stand by their side in a non-judgmental way and make sure they get the care that they deserve that's available. We've learned a lot in the last 30 years about what works. We need to apply some of what works and get people into a caring environment so they don't struggle alone. Well, Jerry, thanks so much for joining me today and talking about this really important topic. I look forward to doing it again. Thank you, Bert. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Mosaic. For more information about Jerry Reed or about EDC's efforts to address suicide, visit us online at edc.org.